I was um, driving in my car listening to the radio this week, and I had on K-Love, and I just caught a few quick minutes of it. I was going from place to place, and I heard the on-air personality uh, say, she said, she made this challenge, I guess. She said, if anyone called in, someone who was married, and read them the last two text messages between them and their spouse, that she would be able to say within three years how many years they've been married. I wonder if <clears> they'd <throat> be able to do that. Some of you are thinking, what were the last two text messages that I sent? I only heard it for a couple minutes, and she only did it once, and she nailed it. Um, someone had, one lady called in, read the last two text messages to her husband, and uh, the, the on-air person said, I think you've been married 11 years. And it turned out there were 13. So she was, she was right on there. And I thought, well, I, got, I wonder what the last two between Wendy and I were. I said this in first service when Wendy was there. She started to panic. Um, <laughs> but the last two between Wendy and I were both from me to Wendy. Uh, one was, okay, I'm parked out in front. And the second was, Isaac said they will be there at 445. And I don't know what this on-air radio personality would say, but she might be able to say, you've probably been married, you're probably midlife, maybe you know, 25, 26 years, which is right where, because you, you got a child, it sounds like you got a child that's old enough to either be out with his friends or driving on his own or someplace, so maybe that does. But the first one's probably the one that really gives it away. I'm out front, and I... I could, if I finished that, it would have been, I'm out front of CVS waiting for you, right? And that totally gives it away because we're at the age, like, we're going in to get prescriptions. Um, and I'm not going in with you. Like, you know, you're young, married. You're like, oh, let's go in. Of course I'll go in with you. I'll carry that bag. That looks heavy. You know, you get to where we are. I'll be out front. I'll just be, I'll be here when you need me. So maybe she would have guessed it right, I don't know. But it made me think about this morning's message, because this morning we're talking about last words. Last words. Last words can be important. What are the last words that are spoken? Last words don't have quite the meaning I think it used to have, because we're so much in constant communication. Uh, and it's like we're never out of communication. Uh, even last week, we're dropping Isaac off at college, and, you know, I'm thinking a little bit, like, what are those last words I want him to hear from me before I drive away? Of course, then I realized it's like they're not the last words. Within five minutes, I'm texting him. Did you forget this? Do you remember this? It just doesn't have quite the meaning that maybe last words used to have that they definitely had in the day of John, the apostle who wrote First John that we're looking at. I mean, when John was writing in the first century, and he's writing to these early Christians who are following Jesus, I mean, he's writing a letter that he's going to entrust to somebody to take, you know, miles and miles away, going to take days, maybe months to reach the people. He's, he's not, there's not instant communication with them. He's not going to hear their reaction right away. And he wants to be careful. What are the last words he wants to leave with them? What are the last words he wants them to hear? I've often thought that an interesting message series would be the last words of some of the books of the Bible. And if you ever went through and just read the last line of each book, some of them are pretty interesting. Here's the last line of the letter that John wrote to the churches. 
chapter 5, verse 21. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So he starts out little children, which he's probably, John at this point, he's probably in his 80s. He may even be in his 90s. He's the last surviving of the original disciples of Jesus. All the others have been martyred. Uh, all the others have died. John's the last one. He's in his 80s and his 90s. He's, he's writing to these early, you know, new Christians that are following this new understanding of what Jesus brought into the world, this understanding of who God is. So he has this kind of, you know, term of endearment, little children, I'm writing to you. Like, this is your grandfather, this is your father writing. I want you to hear this. I want you to remember it. And what he says is, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. And you may hear those words and you think, well, this one, this one doesn't relate to me. I mean, this, you know, how can this possibly, we don't have idols in our house and, you know, we don't go to the store now in the 21st century and you go to Kohl's and, you know, you've got the clothes and you've got the bedding and then you've got, here's idols over here. Pick yourself, like, you, you hear that and you might think, well, this can't relate to me. I don't know what you think of when you think of idols. Maybe you think of Survivor, you think of a little immunity idol if you watch that. Or, and I'm going to, at the risk of really dating myself, some of you, the people that watch the Brady Bunch, you know where I'm going. Hawaii, right? Yeah, a little, little idol that was buried that they dug up and everything. I don't know, maybe that's what you have in mind. And you might, if that's what you have in mind, you might think, well, this message doesn't apply to me. I don't have any of those at my house. But I think these words of John do. They have something to say to us. And they have something important to say to us. Because in the very verse before these words, verse 20 of chapter 5, John says this. And it's as if he's saying, here's what's on the line. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he says, keep yourselves from idols. And it's as if he's saying, here's what's on the line. Truth and eternal life. This is what's on the line if you start going down the, the avenue of idols. If you start having idols in your life, what's on the line is truth and eternal life. And those things are important for us as well. So I want to look at three quick questions with you this morning. And here they are. The questions uh, are this. What is an idol? Let's talk about that for a couple minutes. Where do they show up, and what do you do when you discover you have them in your life? What's an idol? How do we define that? What does that look like? Where do they show up? Where could they be in your life? Where, where in your life do you need to be looking for them? And what do you do if you discover you've got an idol in your life? Let's take a look at that, all right? First question, what is an idol? I'd say my, my short answer is this. An idol is nothing and something at the same time. That clears that up, right? <laughs> An idol is nothing and something. If, according to the Bible, I believe an idol is nothing and something at the same time. It's nothing in this sense. An idol is nothing in the sense that when oftentimes in biblical times when you're talking about an idol, you are talking about what you're thinking of. A trinket, something made of wood, something made of stone, something that was hewn out of rock, 
something that was chopped down from a forest and put up now in someone's home, and they, they worship it as if it's a god. And in that sense, if we look at the words of the prophet Jeremiah, an idol's nothing. Here's what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah chapter 10. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed by them. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so they cannot move. And this is perhaps my favorite verse in the Bible about idols. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. And they cannot speak. They have, they have, not, they have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. It's as if Jeremiah is saying, it's nothing. Don't be afraid of it. Because here's what, here's what was happening in Jeremiah's day. They'd go to war with other nations, and they'd see these other nations bring out all their gods and pray to their idols, and God was saying to them, they're nothing. Carve wood, rock, don't be afraid of them. They can't do evil. They can't do good. It's nothing. And you don't have to worry about that. In one sense, an idol's nothing. Nothing more than a part of creation. But there's another sense where I think, in fact, two senses where an idol can be something. And and the first sense is this. It can be something because what it can allow into your life or open you up to in your life. Sometimes when we think about idols, maybe we think we're talking about people messing around with things like Ouija boards or the occult. And in one sense, you'd say that's what's cardboard and plastic, cards and paper. It's nothing, just like the carved idols of Jeremiah's time. They're nothing. And yet in another sense, there is a spiritual battle that's going on. There are real spiritual forces that are out, they're demons and, and, and devil that wants to take from God everything that God wants. And what God wants more than anything is you. God wants your soul. God wants you to have life. God wants you to have everything you were created for, and there's an enemy that hates God that wants to take everything from God that he wants. And in one sense, when you give yourself over to an idol or you open yourself up to playing around with something like Ouija boards or the occult or those things, in one sense, it's nothing. In another sense, you're participating in opening yourself up to something that you don't want to open yourself up to. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's writing about uh, the, the Corinthians in the early church. There was, there was this controversy about can we eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And he says this in verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? He's saying, look. He's saying, look, am I implying that these idols are anything? And Paul would say, no. He knows his Old Testament. He knows what Jeremiah wrote. No, they're nothing. So the very next verse, it says, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you go down to the butcher shop, 
This is literally what would happen. And you know that as you look in that butcher shop, there's all kinds of meats that are hanging. And some of those meats that are hanging, you know that the way they got there is the temple down the street made a sacrifice to some foreign god, to some idol. They have all this extra meat. They sell it to the local butcher, and he sells it to you. And your question is, can you eat it? And Paul's answer is, eat it. It's, an idol is nothing. It's no big deal. There's no, don't worry about it. It's, it's just, it's meat that God created. You can eat it. But then he says, but don't go down the street and participate in what's going on at the temple. Don't go and be a part of those ceremonies. Don't go and participate in them. Because even though those idols are nothing, I don't want you participating with things, uh, the demons and darkness. I don't want you opening yourselves up and be a participant. You can't worship God and worship idols. So in one sense, they're nothing. But in another sense, Paul seems to be saying there's something to it. I think there's a second sense where there's something, and that is this. What idols take from God that belongs to God? In that sense, the idols are something. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says this. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So what Paul is saying is this. Look, there's, there's worship and service that belongs to the creator alone that when you have an idol, even though that idol is nothing, you're giving something to that idol that belongs to God. So in that sense, the idol's something. You're taking something that belongs to God and giving it to something else. Time, energy, purpose, reason for living, money, focus, attention. You're taking things that maybe are to be set aside for God and for his worship and for service, and you're giving them to something else. And so they rob God and they rob you. And so in that sense, an idol is something. So an idol is nothing and something at the same time. They overpromise and they underdeliver. It's like buying something off the internet and you get it at home and you're like, well, this isn't what I ordered. This isn't like the picture I saw. I mean, that's kind of what the Bible says about idols. You know, you're like, oh, I think this is what I'm going to get from it. And you get it, like, this isn't what I wanted. They overpromise and underdeliver. They're nothing and something at the same time. But the second question, how do you know if you have an idol? Where do idols show up? Say this, idols show up where you want, but not where you expect. Idols show up where you want, but not where you expect. How do they show up where you want? Tim Keller defines an idol, Pastor Tim Keller defines an idol this way. An idol is something in your life when, in, when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it turns into an idol. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it turns into an idol. Or, or when a gift turns into a god. Or when an idea, that might be a good idea, community, love, relationship, acceptance, influence, all ideas that might be good ideas turn into idols. These, these, are the, these are the places we need to be careful. Idols show up where you want. See, there's lots of good things in your life that you might want and you think, well, they're okay to want. There's nothing bad about it. Other people have them. Other people who love Jesus have them. So I can have it. It's a good thing. 
right where you want. And I want it. But then you start wanting it more than you want anything else. And suddenly an idol shows up where you want. An idol shows up where your want becomes bigger than anything else in your life. And I think that looks a lot different at different seasons of our lives. Maybe as a student, you're in here and you're in school, I, I, or some of you can think back to when you were in school or you were students. What would it, something, an idol at that point in my life? What would something at that point in my life that might become more important to me than God? Things like acceptance. That was a huge one when I was, when I was in school, right? I just wanted to be liked. I just wanted people to, to accept me. I wanted to be in this group or in that group. Popularity. Celebrity or knowing everything about the latest celebrities, that kind of information. I mean, all these things might sneak in. They're good things. Community, just being in, just being in the in-group. But then they become ultimate things. Maybe you get a little older, young adults, moving up in your career becomes important. Maybe getting educational certain degrees or finding a career, making a certain amount of money, a salary. Being able to maybe fund your retirement and retire early. Finding someone to love and who will love you. Maybe you get married and then you want children. All these things. You say, well, these are good things. These are things that I want and I think God's okay with me wanting them. But if we start wanting them more than we want God, idols start showing up where we want. They start showing up in those places if we're not careful. We hit midlife. Maybe you've got some possessions. Maybe you've got some positions that all of a sudden you're not willing to let go of. That you're not willing to risk for something God might want you to risk them for. You're not willing to put them on the line. You've got maybe children that you're hanging on to really tightly as if they're yours and not God's. Things in your life that become so important that they become almost ultimate things instead of just good things. Later in life, you get a little older, what are those things? Maybe it's comfort, retirement, and hey, it's a young man's game, it's a young woman's game. I'm out. I mean, I did my time. Maybe you start idolizing just doing nothing, thinking God doesn't have anything more for you. Or maybe you start just idolizing life and fearing death. Maybe that becomes something. I want to stay here more than anything else, more than I even want to be with Jesus. Different seasons of life. But I think idols often show up in our place of want. And if we're going to look out for them, we've got to be careful. That's the place to look. But they show up in the, where you want, but not where you expect. Because these are places... You know, I don't have a problem with that. That's not an issue for me. That's just something I like. It's not what you expect. That's just the place I enjoy. That's just something I have fun. That's, that's just me. I mean, all my friends have it. I mean, look what they have. I just want what's mine. They show up where you want, but not where you expect. Prophet Jeremiah, again, in chapter 2, says this. He says, has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. 
Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's what what the Lord's saying. The people that God had revealed himself to had chosen. They were leaving him for gods that are no gods. They were leaving him the living water, and they were just digging holes for themselves and trying to collect their own water and saying, this will be our life now. And God's saying, that's not life. You've got holes in your cistern. You can't even hold water. And you think that's going to give you what I can give you? The harshest words in Scripture are reserved for those who know God and ought to know better about following an idol. Honestly, Scripture with, with foreign nations and people that don't know God, honestly, God is pretty gracious. He's kind of like, look, those aren't God's. Stop. They're going to disappoint you. Don't follow them. They're nothing. But the harsh words are reserved for those who know God and start following and forsaking him for other gods. What are you doing? You know better. You've experienced me. You know what I can give you. You know what, what, what I have in you. And you're leaving to go after this? You're leaving me to dig your own hole and collect your own water and, and call that life? Do you have an idol in your life? You might have an idol if. Here's your list. Here's your checklist. You might have an idol if. You make sacrifices to it. You spend downtime thinking about it. You move things out of your life that would block it. You feel like you can't go on without it. You make sure you have enough time or money for it. If emotions elevate unreasonably around it. If you get defensive if someone questions your relationship to it. Or there's a chance you could lose it. If you keep secrets about it, if you sacrifice relationship for it. Not any one of these things, but if you go through and there's three or four or five and you're like, yeah, there's something in my life that's like that. There's something in my life I get defensive about every time someone brings it up or tries to say I'm too into it or tries to say I'm given to it or every time someone might question it, I know I get defensive. I know I get emotions about it. I know that there might be a chance that you have an idol. See, see God is a, is a jealous God and he's, he, he's calling it. He's saying what's on the line is truth and life and if you're going to have that, you can't, I'm not going to share it with idols. Like, God has got to be first and number one above all. I think the best way, you know, the most clearest way that Jesus said this in his words is when he said this. If anyone's going to follow me, he's got to hate his mother and father and brother and sisters. And you read those words and you say, wow, what? I don't know if I'm in on that. What does that mean? He said, look, the one who's going to follow me, the, the love that you have for God is going to be so great. The love that you have for God is going, to be, is going to be so incredible. Comparison, every other love is going to almost look like hate comparison to it. Because of the love you have for God. Because of the love that we are called to have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. And then out of that, you love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the kind of love that God calls us to. Like when Jesus was, was traveling around Jerusalem, like he wasn't riding a camel with a bumper sticker on the back that said faith, family, and flags. Like it's not like that. Like it was God alone. Everything else, there's not even a second place. Like it's love for God and your life is God alone. Everything else is way in the background somewhere. And we got to be careful because we sometimes take good things and make them ultimate things and can make idols out of them. And I think sometimes in the church, look, in Jesus' day, he, family was even more essential than it is today. And we, we, we think a lot of family. We think a lot of family in the church sometimes. We talk a lot about family. In Jesus' day, I mean, your family was everything. They provided for you. They were your support system. And Jesus said, if you're going to love God, it's going to be almost like, I mean, your love for your family is almost going to look like hate compared to how much you love God. And I'm afraid sometimes in the church we idolize and make idols out of family and marriage. These things. And we sometimes put them in a place that only God belongs in. We've got to be careful about that. If you find you have an idol, what do you do about it? Finally, third point this. What do you do about it? Keep yourselves from idols, just like John says, and put them in their place. Keep yourselves from idols and put them in their place. This word, keep yourself, he says, my children, keep yourselves from idols. It's, it's the word guard. It's a, it's a Greek word that carries a, an image of a shepherd in a field watching over the flock. A shepherd that's looking out into the hills and looking, is there a wolf anywhere on the horizon? It's the image of a watchman on a wall of a city watching out over the horizon night and day and watching with diligence at night. Is that, a, is that a torch on the hill over there? Could that be an enemy army that's over there? Is that, is that a glint of a spear or a sword that I see the, the light kind of, you know, tricking off over there? Do I need to be aware? Is there, someone, is there danger out there? Like, you're a watchman. You're looking. You're constantly observing. This is the word John says to say, watch out for idols. Not just casually pay attention, but you are diligently seeking to make sure they are not creeping into your life. Watch out for idols. Search. Look at your own heart. Is there any place that they're coming in? John Calvin, 16th century theologian and reformer, said this. said, the human heart is an idol factory. Your human heart, you don't need little trinkets and, and, and stone things because your human heart will manufacture plenty of idols for you to believe in, to chase after, to go after. And so what do you do when you see them in your life? What do you do that something is coming into that place that's taken the place that only God should have? I like the New Living Translation of this verse. It says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Watch out. Watch out for anything that's going to take God's place in your heart. And you know what? What's going to take God's place in your heart is different than the person that's sitting beside you. What, what God wants you to watch out for, what you are searching out on that hill for, is, is, is no doubt different from the person beside you. You've got, a, you've got a tailor-made strategy the enemy does to try and say, here's the idol. Here's something in your life. Wouldn't this be great? And you go after it 
with everything that you have. Because I think I'm afraid, here's what I'm afraid of sometimes, uh, and what I fear. Sometimes we've come to God not because we want God, but because we want what God might give us. That we want security, or we want success, or we want, uh, we want freedom from, uh, I don't know, from other people, from, from, from fear. We, we, want, we just want a get-out-of-hell-free card. We just want what God can give us. We don't want God. And when that's the case, our wants have become an idol. We've really got a different God on the throne. And that's what I think John is saying, dear children, keep away from idols. Watch out. It'll rob you. It'll rob God of his glory and it'll rob you of the life that God wants you to have. So what do you do? Keep away. Put them in their place. Put them in their place. So when you come across something that's good, a job, money, provision, finances, you see that as a gift from God to be able to provide for your needs and the needs of your family and then to be able to be used for God's purposes to bless and love your neighbor. You got to put it in its place. You got to take whatever's been given to you and you put it in its place by giving it back to God. And you say, this is a gift from God. This is where it comes from. You say, the child that maybe you came into your marriage, you say, this is, no, this is God's child. This is a gift that I have a responsibility and a stewardship for a little while, but ultimately belongs to God. And I have to trust him with this child ultimately. But this is God's. And whatever it might be. Maybe uh, some time out in creation that you had a beautiful day at the beach. Maybe some of you went out yesterday. And then you had a beautiful day at the beach and you had your feet in the sand and you looked out onto the water or, or maybe sometime this summer you did or maybe you're a mountains person and you got out for a hike and you got out to see the trees. And to say that this is a gift, this gift of rest from God, gift of a break, gift of creation, that you don't stop short of worshiping the creation and stop short of giving glory and honor to the creator. You put it in its place. Don't allow it to become an idol in your life. You've got a platform maybe of influence. People that listen to you. People that listen to you when you speak. That you say that and you say that, see that as a gift and a grace that God has given you to influence and show and share the love of God with people and, and move the, the, the principles and the values of justice and righteousness of God forward in the place where God has given you. That you see that as a, as a gift. That that's something God has given you. But put it in its place. It's a good thing. But it's not an ultimate thing. It won't give you what God can ultimately give you. You got a home. A place where you stay. Maybe it's an apartment you rent. A house that you live in. Space that you're sharing. That it's a place of provision from God. And a place of hospitality. To show and share with others. Whatever it is. To be able to put it in its place. And if you can't, if you can't see it in the way that God would have you see it, if you can't put it in its proper place and priority in your life, then get rid of it. Then you might need to sell some stuff. You might need to leave a job. You might need to take an app off your phone. A few. 
whatever that is. If you can't put it in its proper place, if it continues to creep in to that place of idolatry, if that gift continues to start to try and be a God in your life, you may just need to cut it out and walk away and say, God and God alone is going to be on the throne of my life. Ultimately, we make a sacrifice of our idols, not to them, is what you might need to do. <laughs> Whenever it becomes an idol, we say, God, this is yours. We give it back to you. Whatever has the potential to become an idol in our whatever good things, God, it's yours. We don't make sacrifices to them. So here's how I want to close the service today. Here's what I want you to do. You got an index card, I hope, when you came in. If you didn't get an index card when you came in, lift up your hand and an usher will bring you an index card. If you didn't get an index card, just lift your hand and someone will bring you, a couple up front here, Ricardo, a couple over here, uh, and someone will bring you, there's one over here, um, someone will bring you one. Here's what I want us to do. Here's how we're going to end the service. Take out your index card, take out a pen, pencil, something to write with. This, uh, up here, one of the words we use for this rail here that we call is an altar. And an altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place where you, uh, in the Old Testament, you kill things and place them there as an offering. And what better place to place our idols than on an altar? What better place to recognize the, the things in our lives that have the potential to creep in and become idols in our lives, the places where our gifts have a temptation or the possibility of becoming God's little g that we need to get rid of. So here's what I want to do. I believe during this message, whatever it might, the Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. You already know. You already know that place in your life where there's a potential of something in your life, something good becoming an ultimate thing, where you could want it more than you want God. You already know that thing in your life that maybe absorbs more money, maybe absorbs more time in your thinking, maybe it's acceptance, maybe it's security. The thing that you, if you lost it, you're not sure you could go on. That if somehow it was taken away from you, that you don't even know if you could go on living. See, when you follow God and He alone is your God and He alone is in the place He should be, you will, you might mourn, you might grieve, you're gonna feel it, but you're gonna be all right. Because God will carry you on through it. What is that thing that may be in that place? That if you lost it, you're not sure you could go on. That, because if that's the case, you may have something that's starting to creep into that spot that could become an ultimate thing in your life. I dare say we all have them. If you look hard enough over that ridge, you're going to see something. And if you're not careful, it's going to move into that place in your life that only God should have in your heart. So what I want you to do, I'm, what I'm inviting you to do, as the team plays the song, to write that on the card, a word or two. But here's what I'm going to do. I want you to be, know what I'm going to do. Don't write your name on it. Not that anyone was tempted to write their name on it. But don't write your name on it. But here's what I'm going to do with it. I want you to come and I want you to write that down and I want you to lay that on the altar as an act of worship, saying, God, you alone have this place in my life. 
but I want you to know what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to take these after you've put them here and after we've done this at the end of the service, and I'm going to give them to the ushers again at the doorways. This is the only time I'm going to ask you to take up an idol in church because I'm going to ask you on your way out if you would take a card, and I'm going to assume it's not going to be your card. And you don't know that person's name, and you don't know who wrote it, but you know that someone in our church body is struggling with that in their life. And if you would take that and pray for them this week, God knows who they are. This is one of the ways we love one another, that you would take that and you would bring them before the Lord this week and say, Lord, set them free. Lord, let them find what they need in you instead of what they're looking for in this other thing. Let them find that you are all they need. And so I'll ask you to put a word or two right on that paper, and then we'll, on the way out, we'll each pick them up and be praying for them on it this week. Let me pray for you. The team will sing. And then after they start singing, if you want to, you come and place these in the baskets and then we'll sing this song of worship together. Father, good God, God of heaven and God of earth, God of all creation, God of all good gifts, the God who generously gives of himself. The God who holds nothing back from us, so much so that we sometimes will take the gifts and forget about the giver. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for those places in our lives where we have not paid enough attention and that we have left you for the sake of lesser things in this world. That we have taken worship and service away from you and given it to something else. Show us where those places are in our hearts. And Lord, as we come and lay them on this altar, would you set us free by your spirit? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.